0: So when it comes to building wealth, taxes are such a big part of the strategy. And even if you're already filed, being proactive about this year to lower your future liability is so important. Geld actually provides a proactive approach to tax strategy combining innovative technology and expert CPAs by creating personalized tax strategies for your unique financial needs of multiple revenue streams, MNAs, restricted stocks, various investments and more. You can keep your hard earned money our their proprietary platform ultimately gives you the full transparency of your tax management and direct communication with your CPA to reach your financial goals and grow for your wealth faster so again you know if you're interested on in this go to joingelt.com uh, and they are actually on the show notes that I'm going to be posting a very special offer for you all that you can actually enjoy so again you know join Geld.com. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the DealMaker Show. So we have today a very exciting founder. We're going to be talking about, you know, executing in Latin America, building, scaling, financing, all of the good stuff that we like to hear. Building, also selling, rebuying your company. I think that is pretty unique, you know, the story of this founder. So again, without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Diego Caicedo. Welcome to the show.
1: Alejandro, thanks for having me. This is going to be super exciting. Been a huge fan. So, really excited to be here.
0: Thank you. So, hey, so originally born in Colombia. So, give us a walk through Memory Lane. How was life growing up there?
1: So, I had very, I grew up in like two stages. So, I was very young in a small town, 500 kilometers south, named Popayan. A lot of history, tradition. You remember a lot of that conservative nature of Latin America at its best. And then have, then moving to the U.S. Uh, when I was four and then growing up in San Francisco at the other side of the coin at the most liberal, avant-garde part of the world at a super exciting time. Um, so it was the 90s. A lot was happening. Uh, just the energy, everything it was great growing up there. Uh, then at the end of the 90s, uh, my dad decided that he w- it was time for him to retire and retire back home. Where he grew up so after 40 years in the united states uh he said it's time to go back to colombia this is getting yanked out of the everything you knew suburban lifestyle back to small town like it was such a cultural shock it was uh till this day we laugh about it uh, at home but had the chance of really experimenting both both sides a uh, small town life in colombia super close to the family. Uh, everybody was family, my friends. Everybody were families of families together. And really, when it came to time to go to university, um, it was hard leaving that and going back to the U.S. Like it was, uh, we, you grow accustomed to the warmth, to ever, having everybody around and everything. And I decided to stick around in Colombia, so I went to Bogota to university. Uh, fun going living on your own at 15 years old. My parents, I still don't understand how they did that, but uh, shipped me off and really enjoyed my university life uh, until like uh, I was in eighth semester, I was a year out from graduation. Um, I was double major in economy with all the naiveness that comes from being a university student. Um, And my dad and his friends in the U.S. were at that time, in their retirement days, and said, you know what, we should set up something to support Colombian coffee growers because, like, at this moment, the third wave of coffee and specialty coffee was starting to become a thing in the U.S. They said, no, we should start getting donations, set up a foundation, and do these type of things. And I found, like, from a very, uh, my way of looking at life, it was they were producing something of huge value uh, they just didn't have the commercial access, then we needed to build a bridge. So we started building a company that was focused around really the first vertically integrated coffee producer uh, in the region at that moment. So we bought from small farmers in Latin America, packaged it up, roasted it, sent it to supermarkets in the U.S., and we started to build something really incredible. Uh, that, that's also when I learned the harsh reality of the commodities world. When weather doesn't help you and you have too much water or too little of it, then all your business gets jeopardized. And after a great couple of years, uh, we basically had to run off the business because half of the Colombian coffee crops were decimated by Vanilla. So that was really harsh. But great MBA, great learnings, many things to learn from that. And then trying to figure out what you want to do with your life. So
0: Before you try to do or, or figure out what you wanted to do after, I mean, what was that biggest lesson that you got from that experience?
1: So I think it was there. there is no constraints to what you can do. So like to, most of the time when we're raised or where we are growing up in Latin America, there's always this glass ceiling that everybody talks about, but very few people actually understand what that means. And it's, look, you have to aspire, but it's like changing the world or changing a business from Latin America is not going to be, easy. you're not going to change. And I was met with a completely different mindset in the U S like San Francisco, my dad's friends and everybody that supported me during that stage. It was there is no limit to what you can do. Like The world is changed by the guys that want to change it, as long as you want to do it. There is absolutely no limit. And I think that's the biggest takeaway I got from working with world-class entrepreneurs that had built incredible things in years before, decades before in California. And it was like, race is not an issue. Language is not an issue. There are no issues. It's just mental and you put on your own issue limits. So, and I think that was one of the best learnings I got from that experience.
0: So then what happened next?
1: At that moment, I decided to see if I wanted to go back to university. I was only a year out from my, I'm like, okay, so this entrepreneur thing didn't work. Uh, So I went back, sat down in a classroom. And after two weeks, I said, no, like after doing what I was doing, going back and sitting down, in university. It made no sense. Uh, So I said, I have to find a job. I have to find somebody that wants to hire me while I want to figure out what to do with my life. And I had learned how to raise money, how to to structure financings, and also how to go to very inhospitable places around the country. And at that moment, there was a mining boom in Colombia. And a whole bunch of people wanted to go and buy mining projects. I'm like... Never, I don't know what a mining project is. I don't know about geology, but I know how to get my way around the country. I'm a quick learner, and I started to learn a lot about everything that was the mining industry, exploration, M&A in that industry, and everything. Um, and we had a lot of fun stories. So we discovered and partnered up with one of the uh, Texans that had been in the in the in Colombia since post war. 85 year old original cowboy and the guy was like coming on he had built a great portfolio of properties but he needed somebody to help him structure out and help him sell those properties to mining companies so he hired me uh, we got along great spent many years working there uh, learned how to operate a mining operation learned how to do a exploration a lot of fun stuff then went to work for major mining companies that wanted to do the same thing in Colombia So it was a lot of M&A, a a lot of acquisition, finance, trying to figure out how to do these things in a market that didn't exist. That time, we built a great company. Then I got my second uh, lesson about commodities. And it's when commodities crash, money dries up fast. So commodity copper went from $3 to $1.75. And everybody said, oh, we really don't want to go exploring anymore. We think we better focus just on what we're doing. So... Second big lesson: is timing cycles is impossible. Uh, there was a, a two two for two two losses in that game, but again, learning a lot, learning that we can do a lot of things in different places. So
0: that's awesome. So then, so then, obviously, you know, like one thing led to the next, and you guys, you know, ended up looking at, um, you know, ultimately taking a look at this banking thing. So uh, so how was that transition of events, you know, all the way that led to,
1: to that? So that moment we said, okay, now I want to get away from these commodity cycles. I want to move into something that is not as radical. Um, so, um, but it goes to something more traditional. I wanted to go do my MBA and I'm, I started studying and a friend calls me up and says, hey, Diego, do you want to learn about this thing called FinTech? There's a great opportunity to explore opportunities. For business ideas in Latin America, around how technology and finance can help, i'm like, "This sounds incredible. This was like for somebody curious like me, it was like the best job in the world with really smart people trying to figure out what we could do in Latin America and I found a problem very near and dear to my heart, which was how to understanding how screwed up." lending to companies is at banks, at financial institutions, how distortion that is, not only in Latin America, but everywhere in the world. And that felt like something, it's just really hit me so hard. And I'm like, this is something I have to do. I took it to the to the team that I was working with. They thought it wasn't a very sexy idea at that moment. Nobody had been doing B2B lending. Nobody had really done this. And a lot of this the mentality was if this has not been solved in the U.S. or in Europe, why is it going to get solved in Latin America? It, makes no, it made no sense to anybody. And to be honest, it took us a while to understand why. But it was, it was, it was really trying to get how, how that was something that could have been solved in LATAM and why nobody had solved it yet. It was so incredibly enticing to go and solve this problem. So that's how we got involved.
0: So then, so then, tell us about because obviously you know there were like different uh, sequences here, different company names, you know. What ended up being Klim, you know, today? What is the business model of the company today for the people that are listening to get like how do you guys make money?
1: So Klim builds machine learning tools to make, to make credit decisions and working capital available to SMEs in Latin America. So. We provide a completely digital underwriting experience. We've lent over $1.5 billion with our technology over the last five and a half years. And we work with 12 of the major banks in the region to help them provide capital and our own capital to companies. So, right now, we operate in Chile, Colombia, Brazil. Um, And what we've basically developed is a tool set that is unique to how do you assess a company in minutes? How do you provide that company credit? And how do you do this in a way? that is that you're able to predict and have a really normalized loss even across periods like COVID, the social unrest in our country and everything that's hit us. We've been able to maintain a very sound business because the technology is really there. So we're big, we're raised $100 million for the business to date, uh, but that's what we do basically, enable banks to really participate in the SME lending market.
0: Hey guys, this episode is brought to you by .tech domain. So, I mean, obviously, if you're a startup or an entrepreneur, you got to be super careful on how you go about your presence and how you get the catchy domain. And that's why I recommend .tech domains as the go-to place to really get your own domain. A good example here is Aurora.tech, which is an innovative brand that has the .tech domain associated to it. Aurora.tech actually works at the intersection of rigorous engineering to address one of the most challenging issues of our generation which is transforming the way that people and goods move it is set to launch horizon which is aurora's first autonomous service that's designed to bring safety value and efficiency to carriers and fleet owners i've actually arranged an amazing deal for all of you and that is you can get your one-year domain for ten dollars or a five-year domain for $50. Just go to go.tech forward slash dealmakers and that's again go.tech forward slash dealmakers to get your own. So, what was that uh, journey like then of uh, scaling this thing and then all of a sudden you sell this business and then you rebuy it again?
1: So, it, it, this is like, it, I still, when I talk about it, it feels a little bit unbelievable, the story. Uh, but, we started to we started the company i met my partner probably 3 months after starting the company he had started exactly the same company in chile after a 1 hour call on the phone he got he got on a plane and we had breakfast the next day in colombia 24 hours after we had planned out how to merge the companies and it was perfect it was a perfect fit and today an incredible partnership but we really started to raise money at a moment where Latin America was still way behind the cycle. So, like, there were very few funds active. There were family offices starting to dabble in this, but really no nobody structured around this. So, we went out and we started to raise what at that time was a huge Series A. So, we wanted to raise $15 million Series A. This was uh, 19, 2019. And this was not the best year to raise like those became very early stage rounds afterwards. But this year it was a hard year still uh, a team. Uh, one of the big VC funds out of Mexico says, Diego, there's a company doing exactly what you're doing based out of London. You have to meet them. They're called green silk capital. We gave them $250 million and SoftBank gave them one and a half billion dollars. We're like, what? we Looked them up. It's like, this is match made in heaven. This is a perfect partner for us. They have capital. We have the market, the technology. So we started working. They wanted a partner in LATAM. They wanted the technology provided in Latin America. So we started to work with them on that. Um, After two months of working, they said, you know what, Diego, we think we should buy your company. We're in the middle of raising our Series A. We had already had term sheets and it was getting delayed and delayed. It was a terrible moment. Um, And we were running out of capital. So at that moment, we said, okay, I would love to sell you the company, but there's no time to do so. Uh, Because we need to close the Series A and it's going to close in the next month or so. And there's no time for you to realistically come in, term sheet, try to buy the company or anything like that. So Lex and the team there basically said at that moment, you know what, go to New York. We'll do the diligence in a week. We'll bring everybody from London to New York, lock ourselves in a room for three, four days and see if there's a business to be done here. And then we'll figure it out. Incredible team, to be honest, a lot of smart people in the room uh, challenging us. uh, And then we came out of that and they said, you know what, we'll step into the Series A, fund it. And we'll figure out in January... How, what are the terms of acquisition? But we'll give you the money. And the worst case scenario, we're a shareholder in the company. We're like, perfect. I didn't really believe it. And over 72 hours, they did diligence. They had lawyers all over the world do this. Like the guy leading it is still one of the sharpest guys I've ever had to, the opportunity to work with, which is David Solo. Uh, brilliant person. Uh, learned a lot from him. And in January, we went to London, closed the deal. We remember flying back from London and it was like we were coming back for a week and then going back uh, in February, went back, closed the deal, done. That weekend, the world locked down. (laughs) That weekend, COVID exploded, airports closed. One week later, and we would have been locked in London for nine months. So we sold the company through COVID. We closed the sale in June. hard hard times for for the world and everything. And the business was thriving. It was really good. Uh, Then we were super happy. Like we were doing this global thing, meeting great clients, uh, getting ready to go to far places with our technology, the US, Saudi Arabia, like a whole bunch of crazy things in, in hindsight, really good things with the teams. Then March 1st hits. And we get a call, and we basically get a Bloomberg alert that says, Greenfield files for bankruptcy and a $12 billion bankruptcy across the world. This is probably one of the scariest days as an entrepreneur you can face. We had 220 people in the Latin American team, and we're basically locked in a room, COVID, pre vaccines, everything. They're like, what does this even mean? Like, we're like, what's going on? We were supposed to be IPOing. We were supposed to be on this great journey of success. This company had all raised all the money. What do you mean bankruptcy? So that was an ice cold bath, if you could, if you've ever taken one. Um, and we got the team together, had a lot of pizza, had a lot of alcohol that night, and said, "Okay, tomorrow we'll figure it out." <laughs> Uh we'll try to understand this. We were able to understand transnational bankruptcy with an incredible legal team that helped us through this. Uh and a lot of good people that we were ran into. And over the next two weeks we raised twelve million dollars to buy back the company. We went up for auction globally, everything without even seeing people because this was again no vaccinations. And we bought back the company. It was an incredible deal. It was the best deals of our lives.
0: Wow. No kidding. Uh, and, and all in all, now for the company, how much have you guys raised for Climb?
1: So now we're at $97.5 million total raised to date.
0: That is incredible. And how does it work like when you go out to raise money now for, you know, it's not, a, it's not like a, you know, newly formed company anymore. You know, it's like a company that you bought from another company. You know, technically. And <laughs> yeah, so, how, how do you go about like really structuring the story towards investors? You know, on on for a company like this.
1: It's so, like, again, to be honest, uh, Alejandro, it's one of the biggest challenges we've had across. Is because you, when you hear it, it's it's hard to understand it, and then when lawyers get involved, it's even worse. Uh, but Look, we were fortunate enough to bring to have people come in on our Series B that knew us from bef- from before the acquisition, uh, that already had understood that we've always been the same company. We've always been the same core team, and our senior team has been through us and stuck around. So when people think about resiliency and entrepreneurs, this is a team that's been through all of them, right? So like we've been through the thick and the thin so that's a great thing to tell about it but we also had the fortune of running into people that really understand our business and followed it closely so when j p morgan and ifc came in to lead our b last year it was a very uh they we were known to them they had been tracking us like j p morgan had been tracking us uh through all of the green side uh, ifc had known us for 4 years uh, the team there, and that's it's that personal relationship that a lot of times, and you read about it, why the personal relationship with your investors is so important and all these things, and it was really that. It was the ability to be able to do that, uh, but it's a hard one. Today, we just basically, none of that changed what we do, so it's a little chapter in our investment memo. This is our company track record, but you grab our first deck, from 2018 and it describes our business today it describes everything that we wanted to do how we wanted to do it why we thought the thesis was there it was it's still we're still true to our origin and as a business we haven't really changed or shifted so it helps a lot when you're you've been the only people talking about this for so long
0: i hear you now now when it comes to 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 all these investors, obviously you and, and employees and everyone, you need a good vision, right? A, a compelling future that you're living into. So I guess if you were to go to sleep tonight, Diego, and you wake up in a world where the vision of Climb is fully realized, what does that world lo- look like?
1: So I think it looks like millions of SMEs having instant credit, just like we have in the world of people. So I think the world of in the world of personal credit, we now like I can't remember the last time I stepped into a bank or submitted any pipe paperwork to a bank. Everything is now on my digital footprint. I dream of the same experience for a company. Being able to need that critical resource and having it within the hour in your bank account so you can continue to build your business. This I want this to be the ubiquitous tool set that every bank, just like they use today Every bank in the world uses some sort of Experian uh, credit sy- based credit system. We want to be the same equivalent, but for the world of business, which today doesn't exist. So if we succeed, there means millions of companies around the world have obtained the credit that they need.
0: So then I guess, uh, let me ask you then this. When it comes to, to also, you know, this this vision and the people that you put around this, I mean, how have you guys gone around culture? What have you learned around culture?
1: So I think culture has been one of those things that is really difficult to shape, especially in the type of business we've had to build to be able to get here. Because you, when you think about it, it's the two sides of the story. Like there's a lot of fintechs that are more fin than tech or more than tech than fin. But we've really been split down the middle and we bit, we had to build a full lender inside of our business because we needed to be the first client for our technology. So we have, we have to go and sit down with corporate clients around the world, just like any bank would. But then we also have to go and sit down with the smartest data and engineers and machine learning uh, guys in the world and say, you know what, everything around that physical world, how do we translate it into models? How do we actually make this scalable? And so it drives a huge uh, bipolar uh, focus on the company because one side of the company is looks like a lender. The other one looks like a pure tech company doing super advanced machine learning uh, work all day long. And being able to make them and make them meld and make sure that the bankers and the data engineers can talk the same language has made it has made us have to develop our own culture around what it means to build our business. So it's our own definition. It's like a lot of people arrive. It's far from a bank, but it's far from a pure tech co. A, mo, a wrong recommendation here can lose cost a lot of money. It's not a misrecommended delivery route on a on a on a delivery app. It's millions of dollars out the door. So it really. Has to shape the culture around what it is we're doing, and finding the crazy people that believe in it and that have lived through why this is important.
0: So then, the other thing that 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 I'd like to ask you here is, what about you know when we're talking about working with people? I think that in this case, working with other institutions, I think that for Climb to working with big banks, you know, has probably not been you know the easiest you know of all you know tasks. So what has it been? What has it made it so challenging uh, as part of really pushing through on the operation and how did you guys go about overcoming, you know, some of those challenges?
1: So I think this is one of the things that not only for Klein, but across the world, I think there's been a big change in the stance we've had around traditional financial institutions and technology companies such as ourselves. So many years ago when we started the company, I still remember, me and i mean, I'm just walking into the chief risk officer. Uh, from one of the major banks' office, and said, look, unless you can show me billions of dollars of track record, why am I going to believe you? Like, I do this business all day long. It was like, wow. And then you say, why am I going to give you my client for my money? Which was the other stance. I don't want to even deal with you. You're my competitor. And I think over the last three years, we've had a major shift inside of the banks and inside of Climb. And it's, look, ultimately, the banks have two critical parts of the puzzle. So they have clients that need the capital, and they have the capital. What they're lacking is the enablement to be able to actually use that capital on those clients and make those decisions at scale. They don't have those tools today. And when we started to look at and show us as an enabler for their businesses, for their clients, for their capital. It completely changed the stance. We went from a, from a competitive stance. We still like competing with the banks. We still go in RFPs. We compete against banks. Uh, last, year, last year, we won one of the biggest RFPs in the region against probably all the banks. But ultimately, we had to go to all the banks and say, we won this, but you guys still have the capital. And we need to work together on this. And we need to really change how we look at each other. And I think that's been fundamental. And understanding that they have a business with a lot of respect, too, that they've built and they've built incredible businesses and we can continue to push that further is a great, is a great way of working together. It's that mutual respect and understanding that we both bring things to the table. Nobody has an absolute uh, truth around any of this stuff is critical. And ultimately, you run into great people at the banks, and you work really well, and uh, we're all after the same thing. Banks have to want to serve their clients, want to make sure that they do it in a responsible way, and it's the same objective we have. So it's really been around that.
0: So then then I guess now imagine if I put you into a time machine, and I bring you back in time, and to maybe like that moment that you were like dropping out of school and, and I gave you the opportunity of having a chat with your younger self and being able to give that younger Diego one piece of advice for launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now?
1: Man, uh, that, that's, that would be an incredible opportunity. But I think all in its moment. Uh, look, the focus on really trying to go for, for everything at the same time is so difficult like i think this to me and after many years it's focus is worth so much in this business and that when you build it sometimes and we all suffer from it we call it the shiny object syndrome and we chase a lot of things but ultimately when you double down and just focus on doing that one thing and incredibly well doing it and just become the person that or the team like, we're the company that knows credit. That's what we do. Like, we we know how to do this. We invest most of our man hours of this company building credit systems for this. And if I had that same focus all my life, who could have known? But who could know what would have happened? But it's that. I think it's just double down focus.
0: I love it. Now, for the people that are listening, Diego, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi?
1: So I think the best way is on LinkedIn. I'm super active there um, and on Twitter. So at DC, I think I sell Uh But really do appreciate the time, Alejandro. It's been incredible.
0: Thank you so much, Diego. It has been an honor to have you on the show. Really, really. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com